I want to tell you a story this morning. Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee by way of Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the ground where Jacob had built his well. Jesus was tired out by his journey and sat down by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus asked her for a drink. She responded, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked me for living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may never be thirsty again. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, for God is spirit. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that he is truly the Christ alive on earth. The first one ever, however, to know of Messiah Jesus when he said, I am he, was the Samaritan woman who drew from the well. And blessed is she.
It was the hot part of the day. We had been walking a long time and my feet hurt. My ancestor Jacob was kind enough to leave a well here in this place. This is good, right here. I will rest a while. I sat down by the stream and looked out at the sky under the shady trees. The tall glaciers and rocky peaks looked golden as the sunlight faded. A chattering of starlings caught my attention, swerving, ducking, dive-bombing. I was enraptured by their murmur. I was just minding my own business. I needed to draw some water and go home. Nothing special, just a normal day. It was kind of hot out, and maybe that's why it got so weird. I knew he was going to talk to me as soon as he caught my eye. I was annoyed. Really? You want me to draw water for you? You who have been sitting here all this time and cannot bother to get your own water? Well, I kept all of this in my head, of course, for I am a pinnacle of politeness, after all. I thought she was rather rude. I just wanted some water, after all. Is it really that hard? Does she know who she is think talking to? I did say this out loud because, uh, because people tend to listen to what I have to say. And I held so still that I was barely breathing. The birds and the sunset were so beautiful. How could you need anything more than this? I don't know what made me turn my head. Perhaps a little tingling on my neck? It was all a blur after that. A bright light blinded my vision when I was startled. This man was a Jew. I am a Samaritan. What did he not understand? And then it gets crazier. He tells me that I should ask him for water. It must have been hot outside because everything felt a little fuzzy. Usually people just do whatever I say. It's usually that easy. What's, what's confusing about living water? I mean, do these people not get that? Water is a gift from the source of life. Not just the, this wet stuff that falls from the sky. What is so complicated about that? Ah, it was a cougar of huge lamplight eyes staring back at me, startled. He was as surprised as I was. I could see the sweat forming on his nose. This woman, this Samaritan woman, asked for water. She wants water of life. She yearns for it. That's why she came. The water she draws is the water she asks for. Water is water. Water for water. Water of life. Water is life. And ever so slowly, he backed away, turning his huge eyes toward the other side of the bridge. Tap, tap, tap his quiet paws barely touching the ground. Hmm. 
Maybe I was meant to come for water at this hour. I can still see his eyes. Maybe we were meant to startle each other, I thought, as he slowly walked away, aware of my eyes following him as he left. His lamplight, bright green eyes were medicine for my own. Even as my heart beats in my throat and my life flashes before me, maybe we needed to meet each other today. That woman startled me. I can still see her eyes. Encounter. These are the kind of encounters that happen on the edges of our lives on the borders and the places just beyond our safety nets, those places that Jesus and our scriptures call us out to, move us into, pull us through. Sometimes I, I think when we hear a story like this, because we don't really know the cultural context of a story, we miss its importance. We miss some of the details that make it uh, more than just another story from the Bible. We tend to read these stories in black and white. And when we do, we miss out on all the color that is there. We tend to read the Bible like we're going to go eat at a chain restaurant. We already know the menu. We already know the story. And because of that, we never really open our hearts to what's happening. To the aliveness of the Bible. It never comes alive. For instance... We don't realize that Jesus, a Jew, was a different color than the Samaritan. These just, just weren't cousins visiting. But this is a meeting of a half-blood and a pure blood. Jesus was the pure blood in this case, and the Samaritans were considered to be the impure. They were the Jew, Jews who were left behind in the exile. The Jews who had to intermarry with their conquerors in order to survive. And therefore, there was absolutely no such thing as a good Samaritan. The Samaritans, according to the Jews of that day, were the dirty ones, the defiled, the passed over. But that wasn't all that was wrong with this woman. The Samaritan woman. I'm guessing you heard it in the story. This is what most preachers like to focus in the story. Will did not focus on that in the storytelling, but it's there. How many times was this woman divorced? Five! And who is she sleeping with now? She was divorced five times, and the guy she's sleeping with now isn't even her husband? And I know what we all began to think, right? Because we are culturally kind of put into that. What kind of a woman is this who's been divorced five times? We point right at the woman. What is it about her that she can't keep a husband? What sort of loose living has caused all this? We put the blame, you see. We do it even in our society today. 
The keeping of a marriage is dependent by most of us upon the woman. And when you've had, count them five divorces, well, do I have to say any more? Can you imagine the guilt and the shame this woman is carrying? This last week I was at a clergy training and a gathering, and it was led by a woman pastor named Reverend Janet Wolf. Janet was the first clergy woman of any denomination in a 10-county area around Lawrence County, Kentucky, rural eastern Kentucky, right on the border with West Virginia. In sharing her story, she shared that when she was a young woman, she had no desire to be a pastor. She thought pastors were the problem. She probably wasn't wrong. (laughs) But at the age of 24, with a one- and two-year-old son, her husband one day just took off, left them for another woman. A month later, she got divorce papers in the mail. She shared with them after she shared with the group, she shared with me, that being divorced in that culture had such a heavy shame to it in her life. Immediately, she felt her spirit kind of leave her, she said. She said in some senses, she kind of let it happen to her. It was her inner thoughts that brought her down. Her own feelings of inadequacy. Her own inner feelings of how she had failed. She said to me that in some senses, she kind of committed suicide. Not in the physical sense, but in the psychological sense. She let all of what her culture was saying to her externally permeate her inner soul. And what those voices did was that these voices took away her holy name her inner sense of being a child of God, sacred, beloved. And when she went to church for comfort, for reassurance, when she went to church to be reminded that she was a sacred child of God, when she went to church to be infused again by the gospel, she instead got more shame piled on her. She was stripped of her teaching duties, no more fifth grade Sunday school, She was no longer allowed to lead the youth group. She literally lost her name in inner and outer shame. I believe this is the kind of shame that Samaritans often felt every time they encountered a purebred Jew in Jesus' day. The Jews had done it all right, and the Samaritans had done it all wrong. And in a sense, in the eyes of the Jewish church, which Jesus was a part of, the Samaritans were no better than dogs. They didn't have their name written in God's book of life. Cindy and I had Emerson, our granddaughter, six and a half years old now, uh, for five days this past week, Cassie and Devin went out glanting to New York, having a good time on their 14th anniversary. And, and it, was a, it was an awesome time for us. But we've been noticing that Emerson is growing up. and She's changing. She's starting to ask deeper questions. She's waking up to kind of some of the ways of the world. 
That's a good thing, but sometimes a struggle too. We've taught her that she can be anything she wants to be. We've read book after book after book, empowering her, you know, to go for it. We've breathed in her on every step of the way that she's a child of God who can do anything this world brings. But one day, as Cindy was putting Emerson to sleep, we're reading this book, The Amazing Adventures of a South Pole Pig, and I'm going to keep putting that out there. It's a great book. Get a read on it. Um, It's a book about a pig who has dreams of doing anything in this world. But along the way, this pig, Flora, gets questioned at every turn because, guess what? She's a pig. She's not a sled dog. She wants to pull sleds. She can't do that. She's a pig. She, she uh, wants to kill rats in the ship because there's all these rats out there, but they won't let her do that. Her only purpose, it seems, she finally finds out, is to be food. And because instead she wants purpose, this is frustrating. She wants to help the world, not by being bacon. Anyway, she's also, Emerson, learning about presidents and the president's names in school right now. And Emerson, after reading this book, turned to Grandma and asked if she could name five presidents. Can you name five presidents? I'm guessing you can. Um, And Cindy did. And then Emerson nearly took Cindy's breath away when she asked, Grandma, how come none of our presidents are women? Can I be a president? Wow. What do you say? We have, by the way, 17 female presidents in the movies. (laughs) But how do you tell Emerson that there's never been one in real life. How, how do you speak the truth to Emerson, but also still place within her the hope that she's a true child of the living God, capable of being anyone, and especially, yes, the President of the United States of America, because truthfully, she thinks she knows it all. <laughs> no. As Cindy was sharing this experience to me, I could feel Cindy's shoulders drink, um, turn downward. I could feel her countenance fall. And it reminded me of a great monologue in the movie Barbie. If you've not seen that, I encourage you to see it. About a, This is a mom who shares what, it, what it's like to be a woman in 2023. Let's, let's listen a bit. Like, we have to always be extraordinary. But somehow we're always doing it wrong. (laughs) You have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but also you have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You have to be a career woman, but also always be looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane, but if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. 
You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be a part of the sisterhood, but always stand out and always be grateful. But never forget that the system is rigged, so find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard, it's too contradictory, and nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. No wonder so many Samaritan women in this world walk bent over from years and years of only men being president, from years and years of carrying the weight of almost every marriage, of every relationship, from years and years of getting lower wages, from years and years of having to fight for every single morsel of their name in a world that too often doesn't really see them for who they are. Now, I have a confession to make. And my confession is that I did not like Peter's greeting. Because you were so like Jesus, so pompous. <laughs> I wish with all my heart that this story was not told by the Gospel of John, because the the Jesus in John, to be honest with you, is something I have a hard time taking. He knows it all. My goodness. Um, he is a mansplainer, I have to say. Um, to be honest with you, sometimes he makes me kind of puke. His long lectures, as Cindy says, his mansplaining drives me nuts. I mean, if you look at Jesus' half of the, Jesus' half of this conversation and analyze it through the eyes of, say, Stephen's ministry training or uh, uh, training about having a conversation with somebody from another culture, Jesus would fail. He would fail. He's the one with the truth. He's the one with the power. He even says it. I'm the Messiah. The only thing he seems to do right is ask for a glass of water, and even there, he's a little pompous about it. Um, couldn't he have just gotten his own water? Now, you know, I'm kind of teasing here, but really, but reading it raw, without some of the other context that I think we know about, it kind of reads that way, doesn't it? But the amazing thing about this story, and so many stories like it, is that God isn't just in Jesus. God isn't just in the organized church. God has a way of being inhabited in these outcasts, in this Samaritan woman, in those who have been pushed out into the margins of our lives. Remember this Reverend Janet Wolf, the first woman pastor in Lawrence County, Kentucky, do you remember where I left off with her? I had a, she had a one-year-old and, year, one and a two-year-old, and her husband had just left her. Upon her divorce, she felt so much internal and external shame that she said she totally lost who she was for a while. And she went to church, and that didn't help. But here's the cool thing about her. She didn't stop looking. I think it's amazing. She kept searching. 
she found another church, a little church on the margins, a, a little house church, she said. She didn't even know it was United Methodist because she wouldn't have went because the last one was United Methodist. But she went to this one. And uh, she got into this little house church. And it turned out to be a real true community. It turned out that they really listened to her. Um, she had found a community that cared about the community in which it was planted. And as they started to do community work together to reach out to the margins, she started to find her voice again. And she ended up going to seminary. And after seminary, she applied to be a United Methodist pastor, ordained as an elder. She wanted to be the first woman, by the way, that would be ordained in her conference. But for one thing, this is a while ago, but they rejected her. Of course they did. And they rejected her not once, not twice, but three times. Uh, she should have given up. I would have. But she couldn't, she said. Because she now knew who and who she was. She was a brilliant and sacred child of God. And God, not the church, was calling her into the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there was no one who was going to stop her. And so on her fourth request, her request was granted. Actually, she forced them into saying yes. And she was appointed to a four-point charge in Lawrence County. Now, rural Kentucky, first woman ever to pastor. How do you think it went? <laughs> Just on the whole, do you think it was a wonderful experience? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, it didn't go well. Upon announcing to this four-point charge that they were going to have the first woman pastor in the conference, one of the churches threatened to burn their church down. So the pastor appointed a retired male pastor to that church. And so once the rumor got out that the other three uh, were going to have the woman pastor, all the men and most of the women headed to the only church that had the retired male pastor. Go figure that. And on the first Sunday that she preached, there were, in those three churches, the biggest number was five, three, four, and five in those churches that she preached. Now, I think I might have quit about then, but listen, this is a Samaritan woman. Got some guts, right? This bodacious woman was a courageous woman inside of her and she would not let them take away who and who she was she wasn't filled by this world's words and water she was filled by the living water the living water of god the god we know through jesus christ she kept at it and she said what was amazing that was that the real church, the real gospel, the good news, started to show up in her little churches and communities. One of the hardest things she said about this journey was that it wasn't just Janet who was getting the heat. Her kids were too. Here's what she says. The beginning was harsh. They boycotted our children on the bus and called them children of the devil. Though he boycotted our kids at school, our youngest was starting kindergarten that year and nobody would sit by him at lunch. And so it was a real harsh experience. But with gleaming eyes, she says, it was also 
a stunning experience of grace. There was a cafeteria worker who lived down the road from us who took her break every day so she could eat lunch with my little kindergarten kids. The bus driver decided to pick up our kids first so nobody would move away from them. They were already on the bus. They couldn't move away. There was an older woman who was a neighbor who would get to the bus stop early in the morning and give um, the kids freshly sour, fresh baked sour bread dough. And let me tell you, all the kids loved that, so they started to make friends. And you know the folks there in Lawrence County at the church, the people there who welcomed us and stood by us, they, she said, paid a much higher price than either I did or my family because they had lived there all their lives. And so their willingness to stand up was an extraordinary gift and a sign of fierce faith that countered the fierce sense of betrayal we felt from the culture there that refused to see God working in this Now, isn't that an amazing story of the gospel? Of fierce faith by a community of grace that wouldn't let the darkness win? That would not, not let the forces of evil extinguish the light of the gospel? It seems like in this world where darkness seems to surround so many folks and take away their sacred names that we kind of feel like we need some magic weapon, right? Some kind of atomic bomb of the Holy Spirit to fend them off. But instead, we find um, the way we fend folks off is merely by showing up, right? With some sourdough. Standing beside them in the lunch counter or on the school bus for listening to them preach and shouting amen by walking beside them and maybe in between and the sacred outsider and the crowds who so want to extinguish their spirit. There are so many bodacious and fierce women and men of the gospel out in this world and right here in this room some of them are pastors, but many are like this woman at the well, just needing a cup of water, a listening ear. I'm calling you out to go out into the neighborhoods this week and try to do like Jesus did. Well, wait a minute. Uh, go into the neighborhood, go to the neighborhood well, and just get into a conversation with somebody. Uh, maybe don't act like you have all the answers like Jesus did, though, but just enter into a conversation with them. Um, I shared a sermon much like this once in a rural town in South Dakota, one of my churches. and I asked all of them where the community well was. And I want to ask you that, too. Where is the community well around here? Where would you go? And afterwards, our church organist, she's 73, she came up to me and said, I could never go to the community well here. And I asked her why, and she said, well, because it's a bar. And they serve alcohol there, and I'm just dead against that. And I just sat with her a while and then said, well, could you at least maybe pray about it? And she said, I'll think about it. 
three Sundays later, there was a new family in church. They were extremely noisy. Didn't seem to know their place in the church. I loved every minute of them. <laughs> but after worship, I went up to them and asked them how they heard about our church. And the husband, there was no wife, pointed to the organist and said, Believe it or not, that lady over there came up to me in a bar and offered to buy me a drink. She was drinking a Diet Coke. I thought that was kind of strange. But we sat and we talked and we laughed for over an hour. And afterwards, she told me she wanted to ask me a strange question. And I thought, uh-oh, here it comes. <laughs> she asked me if she could pick me up on Sunday and go to church with me. I was just astounded. But I was also strangely surprised by the ask. She didn't preach to me. She didn't push. And I could tell she was like a total stranger in this bar. So I told her I would. But I also told her I had two kids and no mama. And she said, I'll pick you up in my station wagon then. And she did. And there were all sorts of rumors about this family in the midst of our community. But after, whenever someone would come up and talk about that in some way, my organist would just say, well, they're here, aren't they? <laughs> and all the people said, amen.